for the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you've been following the readings, you'll see that we've uh, just taken the story a bit further than we did last night, where we left it with the angels announcing the uh, promised arrival of the Messiah. And uh, our reading today picked it up and took it a little bit further. There's a little bit of overlap between uh, last night and uh, this morning, and I want some of those who were there at last night at the 5pm service to provide a couple of the answers. So just giving you a bit of heads up. I do know you're listening. Uh, but no questions about cricketers this morning, I think. Okay. I've been a recent convert to putting up Christmas lights. You may have noticed as you've gone past, both in terms of the lights that we had on the corner of uh, Kensington Road and uh, more uh, recently across the directory as well. And part of the reason behind it is that I actually just really quite enjoy it. If you turn into a street that's all dark, you think, mm, it's a bit of a dark street. If you come in, there's actually a, an array of lights. It just does something, for me anyway, and I know for many others, even places like Globerville where there's so many people who will travel going through. It just adds an extra element around of Christmas. Now, if you feel as though well, that a display of lights like the one on the screen may be a bit much for you, maybe that's just uh, challenging a bit further, you might take this option which is of a neighbour who just put the word ditto up in an arrow across. <laughs> that works for me too. And the theme of light, of candles, is actually true to the ancient traditions of, of Christmas. The theme of light and darkness is one of the most ancient and prevailing elements behind it. And I guess in its own way, uh, the Christmas lights are a representation of that. Sadly, however, if you go to almost any store in Adelaide, as I tried to do to find any Christian Christmas lights, just to be radical, you know, Christian Christmas, you might think there's a bit of an overlap between the two, and you looked at the lights available, it was anything but. You have all sorts of strange creatures, not quite lobsters yet, but it won't be long before lobsters appear. That's a reference for those who know love, actually and the school nativity scene that had some extra costumes, so they threw some lobsters into the nativity scene for some reason. Uh, I, I still keep holding out for the hope that a kiwi would appear somewhere around it, but apparently it's been a run on kiwis in the stores in Adelaide, so I wasn't able to source a kiwi this year. Let's wait for next year. I'm in New Zealand, in case you're wondering why I have a certain advocacy around a bird that can't fly. But we want to get beyond just some of the more superficial elements around Christmas. And one of the things, certainly in the city, as you go around stores and centres, a very prominent man of the moment is Santa. And this is where we touched on last night, a little book. I did um, have a little Santa with me last night, and I did hand it over to certain younger people after the service. And... Uh, it does seem as though Santa did a bungee jump off the playground last night when I found him at, uh, later on as he was hanging off a rope at the bottom, but be that as it may. I want to get to uh, three secrets about Santa, and this is the question I'm going to ask for those who were here last night. I shared three secrets about Santa. It wasn't the big secret. If you've got the big secret, you can 
ask parents. Don't ask grandparents. They always get fussed as to know what was the right answer for that question. But three secrets about Santa. What was the first secret about Santa we said last night? Anyone remember? He's a seasonal worker. That's right. Santa is a seasonal worker. And he comes for one part of the year. rest of the year he's just lying away somewhere doing absolutely nothing. So Santa is just a seasonal worker, does his bit around this time of the year. He'll be packed up and dispatched by tomorrow. So Santa's not an all-year figure. So if you wanted to find a figure to invite to a birthday party, you wouldn't be inviting Santa. You wouldn't invite Santa to a wedding or all those other different sort of family events. It's just a one-context-only character. What was the second secret about Santa that we revealed last night? Rachel's going to call it out. He's a fly-in, fly-out worker. That's right. (laughs) Well remembered. Uh, He just... He's come and gone. I'm sorry. If you're hoping for Santa, he's, he's been and gone. Last night was his big night, but it's all wrapped up. So uh, Santa's also a bit of a fly-in, fly-out character. And uh, that means that it's, it's just the one big event, then he clocks off. He's out of here. The third secret of Santa... Can you remember what the third secret was, Santa? I had a little reminder of the flapping in my back of the tent last night. Third secret of Santa. Santa is a bishop. Who knew? The original Santa. His name was Saint Nicholas. That's where we get the word, the name Santa is a construction for Saint Nicholas. And Saint Nicholas was a real person. The Bishop of Myra, which is in sort of southern Turkey. He lived around 270 to 343, his, his uh, physical remains um, are kept in a basilica in Italy. So he's a real person. And some scientists took his physical remains, his skeleton, and as they're able to do these days, reproduced what he would have looked like. And this is what the original Saint Nicholas, the Bishop of Myra, looked like. And he was a, uh, a pretty impressive figure. But apparently, I didn't know this until I did a bit of a Google church search last night, that bishops back in his world were responsible for the whole town, including road repairs and things like that. So apparently he was pretty good at making sure the roads were repaired around the place. And as I hastened to say last night, do not come to me with your complaints about footpaths and road repairs. That is no longer part of a bishop's job description. But he's also known for what? What was the big thing about St. Nicholas, the Bishop of Myra? He was a great giver. He saw need around the town, around the city, and where there were people who would not have a meal, he would just quietly leave a coin, enough to buy a meal on their windowsill. And there's even a story around three young women who were facing pretty dire prospects in life because they could not afford to have a dowry. That's what you needed to get married back in those days. And apparently he provided free dowries for these young women so that they could get married. He is the great giver. Which brings us to what's the connection between that and a 
the true spirit that we might celebrate at Christmas. Well, the first thing I think I'd like to suggest is that the act of giving and the act of joyfully receiving actually is human nature at its best, isn't it? I think that's one of the the things that we have got right about Christmas, that it is a time to exchange gifts, and not just any old gifts, to give thought and care to something that would really be valued and treasured. And there's the grace of receiving it and uh, owning it, where we can, as adults, learn from children who often embrace their gifts and run off with them with delight, whereas adults we tend to say, oh, you shouldn't have, but I'm glad you did, or whatever it may be. So the giving of gifts brings out the best in human nature. And, of course, it isn't just for one day of the year or for special celebrations. It's when we face times where it is really tough. We know in North Queensland, parts of eastern seaboard, times are tough. There have been floods People's homes have been washed away or been devastated. And other times we often have the devastation of bushfires, which we know in South Australia. And even though they are dreadful circumstances, what it can evoke is the best of human nature, which is to be givers. And the story sometimes we hear of people, there's one I heard last week of a, um, someone in a supermarket who had a basketball full of things going through the supermarket. Um, One of our more senior ladies in the the story, true story apparently, and uh, came to over $100 and she only had $80 and she was just beginning to go through and see what she could put back. And just someone quietly in the next aisle saw that and just said to the cashier, here's the extra. Then someone else saw that and said, actually, I've got a few things in my trolley I don't really need. How about you take this as well? And just a spontaneous little actions can make an enormous difference. And that is one of the great things about Christmas. It models not just St. Nicholas, but St. Nicholas, the Bishop of Myra, was modelling his Lord, Jesus, in being the great giver. But it isn't just that generosity is a good thing to do. It is. But we can go deeper still in uncovering what it is so special about Christmas. What is it about this birth and the narratives around it that we retell from one year to the next and continue to investigate? Well, part of the investigation process may be to strip away some of the extra bits and pieces that we've added to the whole nativity picture. Um, I'm not saying that nativity scenes aren't valid. It's a way of drawing together two different accounts, an account in Matthew's Gospel an account in Luke's gospel of the birth of Jesus. We tend to roll them into, all into one and throw them into a stable or some description. But actually we've also thrown quite a few extras into that stable at the same time. Um, there certainly wasn't a lobster. I can give you an assurance of that. Was there a donkey according to the biblical narratives? No. There's no mention of a donkey at all. Alan's Oh, Alan, I was just going to tell you. I was just looking for your presence as you made your entrance. Um, there actually was no donkey in the stable. You've got to find another character. I'm sorry. Keep searching for a character. We'll go with the wise man. Um, there's no reference to a donkey. 
there's no reference to three kings. First of all, they weren't kings, they were magi, actually astrologers following the stars. We don't know that there were three and they didn't arrive the night of the birth. They arrived, might have been weeks later, might have been months later, it might even have been a year or two later than the birth. So that was also sort of been thrown into our mix of it all. There was no inn, no innkeeper, no drummer boy. I'm sorry if I'm disabusing you of all these things, but I'm just giving away. So. <laughs> Paul, you've really wanted to be the drummer boy, haven't you? No, no, no. Not Paul Singh, by the way. But there is a deeper truth behind it. A simple birth in very ordinary circumstances that was an extraordinary birth. And I just want to touch on that a little bit further, just so that we don't just slip towards the more superficial or um, artificial side of Christmas. In particular, we don't need to celebrate Christmas as some sort of magical event. There is no magic behind the Bishop of Mara, St. Nicholas. There's no magic that we can look to. There can be stories about it, that's all fine, but not in our real life and hopes and faith. It's not magic we're looking for. It's a deeper power than that magic. A couple of suggestions of where that can be found. First of all is the nature and the circumstances of Jesus' birth. It wasn't in a palace. It wasn't in any great human context that was celebrated. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which at the time of Jesus' birth was an occupied territory, occupied by the Romans, subject to acts of brutality and of terror was the world of Jesus. In the Evangelical Lutheran Church in Bethlehem, which is in the West Bank, the occupied territory, each year the Lutheran Church puts out a nativity scene. This year, this was their nativity scene. And isn't it a powerful statement? Obviously a reflection of the reality of the world in Gaza at the present time, and who can look on with that without anything other than absolute horror? And that is the world, not just that Jesus was born into, that is the world where God was and is present. God is not at a distance. That is a world where God entered into to bring light into the darkness. That light and the darkness as, is as necessary and desperate today as it was in the circumstances of Jesus' own birth. And that very powerful nativity picture tells that story. We need that hope and ask, where is God in the midst of those circumstances? And that one picture says more than a thousand words about where God is to be found. You see, it isn't just that it brings out the best in us as an example to be generous and to be givers. It goes deeper and tells about why there is a deeper power at work. Even in the darkest of times, there is a greater power. 
There's an enigma in the story as Luke presents it in Luke's Gospel for the birth of Jesus. He's celebrated as the coming Lord, as the coming Saviour, as the one who will bring peace to the world. And what we forget is that those three titles, the Lord, the Saviour, and the one who brings peace to the world, were titles for Caesar. Caesar Augustus, who had called the census, had three titles. He was Saviour, he was the Lord, and he brought the peace of Rome at the end of a spear. Yet this alternate and more powerful Saviour and Lord and the one who brings peace is wrapped, Luke tells us in detail, in rags, in strips of cloth and placed into a feeding trough. Going back to our scene, there actually was no stable. Rather, it was an area that was shared where it says there was uh, no room at the... It wasn't at the inn, it was in the guest room. Houses in a village like Bethlehem would have very humble two-storey buildings. Upstairs would be some of the bedrooms where those who are family members could sleep. Downstairs was the family room. And the family room was shared with all the animals. That's where Jesus was born and he was placed into the feeding trough. Isn't that an enigma that this more powerful figure who would bring salvation and peace and be the Lord is wrapped in rags and placed into a feeding trough? Yet he has released a power that superseded and was greater than anything Caesar could come up with and is greater than anything that any military power or might might generate. This greater power is the one who can bring stillness and peace and a better humanity, a deeper, truer spirit. If we are to look as to what brings out the best in human nature, I would suggest we don't look to Caesar who was a gladiator and wasn't sort of prided in the power of the military armies and their auxiliaries, but rather someone who could actually transform people from within, not to enter into retaliation and power plays and to see who can be the strongest and prevail. Jesus swept that aside and made a deeper impression. So the faith for all the realities of life isn't just a faith that we look for as a pause. It is a light that can win out over the darkness and it's more than just a season to have a quick break. Now, I suspect if I was to ask most of you, as I've asked myself, what are you really hoping for for the next few days? I suspect not many of you are saying, I want to get back to work. I'm saying... 11 o'clock, I'm out of here, I'm switching off, I'm getting into my papa mode and we're getting into the family things. One of the things we love about Christmas is that it gives us a break, gives us a pause and in the southern hemisphere we have our summer holidays and we have hopes then to be able to refresh ourselves, to rest up, to do all those types of things. But Christmas is, isn't just a pause, isn't just a, a season to be a bit crazy in our parties and celebrations. 
it actually reminds us of that deeper truth that lasts through every season, through every reality of life. It is a part of a growing movement. The world, some 2.4 million, billion people, 2.4 billion people around the world will be gathering in various forms and contexts today and naming the praise and celebration of Jesus Christ. That is why we recognise that this is a true cause for celebration and of hope. So to finish with, that light that prevails, this is one, a picture that Fiona came across and showed me. It's a type of, almost like a Fovis one. There's an element of light that is, you have to look to see it. Often we take light for granted. But it's all around us when we stop and to see it and to find it bringing hope and vitality and energy. That is what is surrounding us. And that is what is at the core of why we set aside not just this day and this celebration and the season that we call Christmas, but are willing to place our lives, our faith, our trust as we bow down before the child, wrapped in rags, in that feeding trough, who has made more of a difference than anyone else in history. Jesus has done, is doing, and will do more than anyone else that we may seek to place our faith, our trust, our hope with. And that certainly is cause for celebration. Amen. Picking up those themes, we're going to have a lovely ancient song that has been given new life. No, we're not. We're changing it. Sorry, you missed it last night. We had a lovely ancient song last night. What are we having this morning?